Can you imagine sitting in the pub chatting with your mates only to be interrupted by ads? Well, unfortunately, that does happen here at the Homebrew Pub because we're just trying to keep the lights on. However, if you would like to support us directly and get access to ad-free episodes of the Homebrew Pub, please head on over to our Patreon. You can find a link to that on our website, thehomebrewpub.com, and join our mug club. Again, our website, thehomebrewpub.com. I'll see you in the pub after the next couple of ads. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Homebrew Pub, the only pub in existence where every beer on tap is made by a homebrewer. And on this ethereal plane, the Homebrew Pub will turn into the guest brewer's perfect brew pub. So please come in, grab a stool, and grab a pint. So, confession this week, normally at this point I would do an introduction of my guest, but my guest this week and I just started chatting. So, this week to the pub, I welcomed Andy from Four Priests Brewery out of Middlewich in the UK. Um, And I'm calling him the accidental brewer because he literally started a brewery by accident. So, uh, I'm going to stop talking now and just get into the conversation. And I was running, I, I wanted to run this by you first, but I was kind of hoping to call this the Accidental Brewery, um, mm-hmm. just because, like, and I want to ask you about this as well, because your first video is like, yeah, so I got this equipment, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I need to know so much more. So- <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, and I've, I've used the same word, accidental, when I came home and told my wife, um, <laughs> I've accidentally got a brewery, yeah. um, and um and and sometimes when i'm talking to people that just want to know the story you know, yeah that, that's the way that i describe it and it, yeah it was entirely um i don't know a fate uh, or yeah. good time good luck I, I i can't i still can't describe it you know i'd, I'd had this idea for years yeah. um like i think most well maybe not most but many home brewers you know you're brewing in your kitchen and you're steaming the place up and mm-hmm. you know your wife's kind of why are you keep doing this what in the kitchen every week yeah, yeah. and um it would be nice to have like a brew shed or something out the back. So I tried to move all my gear into the, the shed out of the back here. And um, and I was brewing in there. And in the summer, it was great. And in the winter, it was wet and muddy. And then we get it's quite a damp area where we are. So we get a lot of snow slugs and snails and creepy crawlies. So mm-hmm. I would go in some days and there's like slugs cl- crawling up the fridge and, you know, climbing in the fermenter i'm like this is not good enough you know i need somewhere better than this somewhere dry we have no garage here yeah we converted that into a i don't know what it is a video game room for my son at the moment but just like an extra space for family space so uh 
we parked the cars on the on the driveway out the front, so I couldn't use that. So I'm like, yeah, maybe I can find a little kind of corner of a warehouse, industrial unit somewhere, but move my kit in there. Um, but it's just so expensive to do that. And, you know, we're already paying for the property here. So the, the idea just sort of came and went. And, um, you know, but also in the back of my mind, I think like a lot of home brewers, you know, there's this kind of maybe one day, uh, you know, I can do my hobby full time. And I think that applies to a lot of a lot of hobbies that people have. You know, you love doing it so much. Imagine getting paid for this. And, um, you know, I'm not at that stage yet, I must add, in case my boss is listening. But, um, <laughs> you know, we're... we're um, you know the opportunity seldom arises and i've watched these videos how to start a microbrewery for only 50,000 for only 100,000 for only 200,000 and then there's other say no you're going to need a cool million to do this i, I just love the word only in that yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like i've got it in my pocket like, yeah. ready so um and i haven't got that kind of spare cash i mean i do okay but not that well yeah. and um so um it's a fantasy you know, ultimately, and, and um, it will never be realized. And then you've seen the story, but I'll explain it for the listeners. Um, I, we had a, a little homebrew group in the town here where I live. There's about 17,000 people live in this small town. And there's about 15 people in uh, a, a homebrew group. We met on online um, at a, a UK homebrew forum called The Homebrew Forum, coincidentally. Um, and we started getting together for meats and swapping recipes and swapping beers, um, going out for the evening and got to know each other really well and, and uh, one night I'm sat with this with the guys um, we'd gone out to a local um, tap room bar in the in the next town along and he said oh it's a shame about the the brewery at, at this this pub in the next town um, the, the guy that owned it had unfortunately passed away and his wife had sold the business to uh, a new guy and he didn't want the brewery he just wanted the space back for customers to sit there were customers turning up on a Friday night, opening the door, looking in, going, hey, nowhere to sit. And they'd go off to the next bar down the street. And it, it was killing him. Yeah. Um, so he's like, I want this space back. We're going to refurbish it. Um, but there's a small problem of a, you know, not not unsubstantial brewery plumbed in and fitted. And he wanted he wanted rid of it. So I spoke to the, my friend and said, hey, could you arrange for me to go and take a look? Um, I don't know why I didn't have any money, um, but you know we'll go take a look. You had it's a nice dream. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I finished work Friday night. I went down. I met Carl, the landlord of, of the pub, and um, he took me in the back to see it. I'm like, yeah, this is great. It's um, two, two and a half British barrels in size, which yeah, you know, I guess we're gonna have this problem through the interview because we, so, we measure things differently. So and and I have um, to confess, I didn't learn measurements. Like in the UK, like I couldn't tell you what like a milligram and a kilogram was. I was like the most inept science student, and so, <laughs> and and like so when I moved here and I got into brewing, I do everything in gallons. I do everything in yeah. like the that uh, in that system. So now, yeah. I, and I don't want to bring politics into it, but like with um, <laughs> with Boris Johnson going, we're going back to the old way. I'm like, oh, thank God, I can understand measurements in the UK again, but. <laughs> Yeah, um, and you know the US is hanging on to its uh, pounds and ounces. Yeah, I, think. I saw a map the other day with um, units of measurement around the world, and there was like two countries I think that used feet, inches, pounds, yeah. ounces, and I think it was the US and somewhere like Zimbabwe or somewhere <laughs> and um, nowhere else. Um, yeah, and it gets a little confusing in the in the brewing and home brewing world when yeah. I'm looking at recipes. I'm like, is that my gallon or your gallon? Is that you know my pint or your pint? 
And I will say that is a weakness of what I put out. I do everything in American, even though I think that yeah. confuses people yeah. by, you know, having this accent. I think because of the prol proliferation of U.S. homebrew channels and content, I think most European homebrewers are quite used to making that conversion back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, re I read Brew Your Own magazine and subscribe and all of their mm -hmm. recipes. Actually, they've started doing them in, I was going to say bilingual, that's probably the wrong <laughs> word, but they started them in, in, uh, you know, uh, in, in both measurements now, which makes things a lot easier. But they never are quite round. It's like, oh, yeah. it's a pound of this. Oh, right, okay, what's that then? It's like 0 point something kilos. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've always got these fractional measurements, so it makes weighing things a bit of a pain. But, well, and it, it was um, funny, yesterday I took a, uh, a coffee brewing course. I love coffee, and so we, we, we went and did this class at this place. Corvus and they did everything in grams yeah and I asked the lady like why is everything in grams because I was expecting mm -hmm. ounces and, and everything and she's like oh and she gave this really great explanation because like grams are way more precise like every yeah. bean weighs a different amount so this mm -hmm. is just a great way and this girl next to me goes and it's chemistry and so everything's done in grams and I'm like beer brewing's chemistry and we do it all in pounds and ounces so don't want to tell you <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, and I guess yeah. I mean, there are fractions of ounces, right? So you know, you, yeah. you can. You, you, but yeah, I, grams just feels easier now. I was taught the metric system at school. I was born. I'm 50 this year. I was born in 1972, so um, kind of imperial English measurements mm -hmm. are kind of gone at that stage. We were required to know what they were, yeah, and um, and the conversions because you know our parents and older people were still using it so you needed to be um, comfortable with both but as far as uh, most things in the UK um, we're pretty metric now for almost everything apart from it, when it relates to cars yeah so, um, miles you know, yeah petrol gas is, is sold at the pump in liters but nobody ever refers to liters per kilometer for, for fuel gas mileage it's it's got miles to the gallon so yeah. you got to do this calculation in your head um, and the, the the streets are all marked in miles, mm -hmm. um, not not kilometers, um, which is unique to the UK compared with the rest of Europe, where yeah. everything is, is certainly metric kilometers and, and liters. So, well, which um, is that black sheep of Europe? Height, yeah, <laughs> yeah. How tall are you? Well, I'm you know I don't know 180 centimeters. <laughs> um, no, I'm not. I'm like five ten. So, um, but yeah, we, we're clinging onto these things, and there's a big debate in the courts a few years ago where uh, uh, grocers were selling fruit and veggies in like, pounds so yeah, two pounds of tomatoes two pounds and then they whatever, got in trouble for it. it made them yeah they made everybody change to kilos and of course all the old people were like, I don't know what that is yeah, yeah. Um, so now Boris is uh, is clearly let's not make it political but no. we're clearly seeking to reclaim the elderly vote now by reintroducing groats and you know other, of, other obsolete measurements of you know all the things to like hang your hat on though it's just yeah. like why like <laughs> we shouldn't make it political i think people can guess where we're going with it but it's just like yeah. as i say selfishly for me i'm like all right now when i go over to the uk i'm going to understand what the measurements are which i should know anyway but yeah i just <laughs> i just naturally now lean towards the american system yeah <laughs> So I helpfully converted some things before. So when I'm talking to you, you I, I can make it understandable. So yeah. um, this brew kit, um, it was 90 gallons. So it was three vessels. Oh, wow. Um, so that's about three barrels. Yeah. Two and a half UK, I guess. Is that three US? Uh, it's uh, about three US. Yeah. No. So 90 US gallons. Mm -hmm. um, 
and um, went into the room at the back. There's a mash tun, 90 uh, gallons. There's a, what we would call a copper. Um, for any of you your listeners who watch any of the UK podcasts, the copper is the old, um, what, what the Brits tend to call the kettle. Because yeah. it used to be copper, and we still refer to it as a copper. So I've got a stainless steel copper, right? <laughs> uh, if that makes sense. And um, <laughs> and then uh, and a single a single fermenter, um, also stainless steel, but like clad in wood, about mm-hmm. twenty thirty years old. It and, is um, beautiful. You've seen it on the video, yeah. yeah. It needs some TLC. There's a, the wood's a little bit rotten in places. I need to replace that, but I'm going to replace it as is. Uh, maybe stain the wood or something. We'll we'll make it look nice though. Um, so this was the kit, along with you know massive plate heat exchanger, kind of two feet tall and six inches thick, um, all the pipes and hoses and fittings. I'm looking at this kit, going, "This is 15 grand's worth, gotta be." Yeah. And uh, you know, I really, really don't have that much. Um, but we didn't discuss money. Um, <laughs> I just said, "Yeah, I'm interested." And um, and he said, "Cool. When can you get it out?" And I said, "When do you need it out?" And he said, "This is Friday night." And he said, "Sunday." I went, you- "This Sunday." And I said, yeah, why do you need it out so fast? He said, well, the construction team's coming in on Monday, and they want to knock down this wall. And they've said, unless this gear is out, they're going to go and start another job around the corner with another customer. And I know these guys are busy. They'll never come back. It'll be months. Yeah. So I need this kit out. And uh, he said, if I can't get rid of it by Sunday, I'm literally going to have to drag it out into the street and then wait for the scrap dealers to come and pick it up. And uh, I said, right how much do you want for it? And he said, just take it, man. But <laughs> if you can get it out by Sunday, just take it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and you know, and I thought, uh, I've got to tell him this is worth some money. He knew it was worth money. This is a successful guy, runs bars, yeah. knows exactly what it's worth. He needs it out. And his business model is as quick as he can get people in that bar, he can yeah. start generating an income from that space. And as it was at that particular moment, that wasn't happening for him. So, you know, he, he never bought the, the gear. It came with the acquisition of the of the bar. Um, it, it was certainly of value, but not compared with the overall business. So um, yeah, so I was happy to help him out. Um, oh so you know, I, I mean, I'm sorry. That's just unbelievable because like all of us dream of opening breweries, and we're like, look at the equipment, and we're like, okay, a one barrel system that's about twenty grand. I think I can <laughs> convince the wife. I can't yeah. convince. Them. And you're like, yeah, I got it for free. So, <laughs> so when you know when when fate or something, if you're religious, maybe God drops a brew system into your lap for free. That's a, that's a sign. Yeah, to do something with it now. Yeah. So I arrived home. You can imagine the conversation. She knew nothing about this. <laughs> uh, she came in from work and said, uh, and she said, I said, right, sit down. We've got to have a chat. Yeah. I said, um, uh, I I accidentally. <laughs> Acquired a brewery, <laughs> <laughs> and she said, "Is can I can I swear in this program?" Mildly? No, please, please. She said, "Is that more shit for the kitchen?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, it's kind of a bit big to go in the kitchen." She's like, "How big is this brewery?" So I described it to her. It's kind of room-sized. Yeah. And um, she just she just said no. <laughs> I said, "Well, it's too late. Um, we're picking it up in the morning." Do you know anyone who's got a truck? Um, <clears throat> and uh, she was very supportive from that moment, except with one condition, do not bring it back here. Yeah. Because um, I did actually say, we've got quite a big kitchen, um, mm-hmm. and uh, this the space just, if we moved some things around, we might be able to store it here for a few weeks. And uh, she knew it would never go. Um, yeah. So uh, I was like, no, 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 you've got to find somewhere for it. So 
I started on the on the phones, ring a few guys. Who do I know's got a truck? We can get all these vessels in, and and then I need muscle, right? We got to lift this stuff out. These are heavy steel uh, tanks, and um, so I called my wife's dad um, and said, "Hey, he works in the transport business. Yeah. He's retired now, but he's a welder. He fixes trucks in a lot of the uh, the local companies that." Um, do uh, these big curtain side trucks that you move pallets around. He works on those quite a lot. And I said, hey, you know anyone who's got a truck we can borrow? And he's, when? And that's Sunday. Oh, yeah, I can get you one. How big do you need? I was like, I don't know, 10, 10 tons, something like that. Yeah, leave it with me. Call me back 10 minutes later. Yeah, got the truck. I said, right, do you know anyone with a warehouse? Because I've got to put this stuff somewhere. <laughs> Otherwise your daughter will kill B me. Was, yeah, my plan would be was to like, you know, give my wife some money, tell her to go and buy a handbag and some shoes. And when she was out, we would like hide it in the back under some tops or something. And um, and he was like, oh, I'll make another call. So he calls me back and said, yeah, there's a, there's a big oat um, processor nearby, a big factory. They process oats. And... Um, they, they have some 40-foot uh, shipping containers out back, which are empty. And um, they said, you can use one of those. How long do you need it? I said, I don't know, maybe a couple of months. He was like, yeah, it's fine. I said, how much? He said, what for? I said, well, for the truck and the, you know, the, 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 the truck the and the storage. He was like, no, nah, it's, fr- it's a friend. It's a favor. It's no problem. <laughs> buy, him a, buy him a few beers. So, um, so we did. We turned up. The local homebrew guys that I mentioned earlier, about five, six of us turned up at the pub. Yeah. Um, went in the back. Um, lifted this these vessels between us, like two two to four man lift, depending what we were lifting. Put it on the truck, took it to the oats yard, um, put it in the trailer, locked it up, and left. And I recorded some of the events of the day. Yeah, I was going to say that video. was your your first video. Yeah. And I just thought, I don't know, something just came to me. I was like, I got to get this down because this is just weird. And um, it, not this doesn't happen to people, especially me. No. And, um, I'm going to just record it. And uh, I recorded it, got home, and then one of the guys called me and said, hey, that video you took today, can, can I see it? I said, yeah, I'll just edit it. I'll put it on YouTube, um, and um, I'll send you the link. And I, I sent the link. I had 12 views over about three weeks. <laughs> uh, I think three were my mom. Um, <laughs> my son's on the, the telly. Yeah, <laughs> literally, yeah. And, um, and, um, and a few of the guys watched it. And that was great. And then I just set about trying to find some premises for this for this gear. And um, uh, I put a second video up um, about five miles away from where I live. There's a, a farm, um, an organic dairy farm, and they've just upgraded their milking uh, sheds to a sort of fully digital robotic thing. So mm-hmm. the old milking uh, parlor, as they would call it, um, was just empty. And I'm like, okay. This sounds great. It's like food processing. It's washable. There's a floor drain. It's perfect. Just the right size. There's water coming in. It's sanitary. Will the equipment fit? I went down, measured it up, uh, and she was like, yeah, we'll have you. The, the money was not a lot, like a few hundred a month. And I'm like, this is great. And, um, and I, we were ready to sign the deal. And then um, the local legislation around here means that you, know, you can only use a building for a certain class of activities mm. and this is agricultural and i need light industrial or That's industrial the difference so you can't just rock up in a field with a brew kit and start making beer you've got to tell the local council the mm-hmm. city what you're doing and um and um and i was happy to do that it was more expense but it was the right place and uh, unfortunately 
the consequence for the farm would be once they changed it away from agricultural to industrial, it's very difficult to get it back. Yeah. Um, so when I disappear in two years, they're left with a space that they they can't really officially use for agricultural purposes. So she went cold, unfortunately, and um, said, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to say no at this stage. So we're kind of back to square one. Anyway, I did a video of that. Um, and then I woke up one morning, I had um, my 12 views had gone to like a thousand views and I had 200 new subscribers like in 24 hours. I'm like, oh, something's going on here. Yeah. Um, and um, a guy that I followed on YouTube but wasn't in contact with, I think I'd sent him a few comments in the past, um, Harry Brew 69 mm -hmm. um, Harrison's Brewery in Retford in Nottinghamshire. Um, he'd found my video and uh, his story and mine are remarkably similar. I mean, he was brewing commercially before, but the same thing was with him. He got an empty building, um, made, borrowed, repaired, stole equipment and um, <laughs> built a brewery from the, from the ground up. Anyway, he found my video um, and in his, at the end of one of his videos, he'd said, hey, there's this guy, he's got a new, starting a new brewery. It's going to be a brewery fit out. He just needs to find premises. Uh, you should go. You should go tune in and subscribe to his channel. So his followers started to come over, and I think I must have picked up three, four hundred followers, um, subscribers oh, wow. in in the following week, which is which was amazing. Of course, then there's pressure because now I'm getting messages from people. Like, did you find it? Did you find a place yet? Did you find a place yet? Yeah. Can we come see you? Can I buy you beer? I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> not yet. Like, bear with me. <laughs> And the story goes on from there. I guess we'll fill the whole, we could fill the whole uh, half hour talking about you know, the whole story, but, um, and I'm happy to do that, but, uh, you know. No, please. It's a great, it's a great story. And, and um, you know, we, uh, we uh, slowly progressed because I realized at that stage, um, it's not that simple, right? To set up an alcohol manufacturing business, mm -hmm. you know, there are laws and rules and you've got to, you're going to have certain qualifications, which I didn't have. Yeah. Um, well, even to, to put it in those terms, an alcohol manufacturing business, I don't think like when you're brewing, <laughs> but you think of it in those terms, it's just like, yeah, I'm brewing yeah. a pint. Yeah. And what I, what I keep coming back to at this stage is like, I've got a full-time job, right? This is not a career decision to move away from my job. I love my job. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm pretty good at it. And the company I work for are, are excellent. So um, I was like, how might this look? First of all, um, yeah. can I manage it just at the weekends and evenings and maybe some paid time off now and again? So uh, I thought, right, I'm going to press the big pause button now. I'm going to go and speak to the vice president of human resources <laughs> at, my, at my US-based employer. <laughs> and I'm going to say, hey, I want to start up a, a side hustle. Is that okay? <laughs> um, and fortunately, it was because they know me very well. They know that if I say it's weekends, it's weekends. Yeah. And there's, a, there's an element of trust. I'm working over here. Uh, all the way over here in Europe, right? So, you know, there's got to be trust working for a US, a US company. So, um, so I spoke with um, with Shane, the VP, and my line manager over here, and they were like, "Yeah, I was just let keep it to the weekends. It's your business. Do what you need." And um, and the idea at that stage and still now is like um, scalable if I need to scale it. But mm -hmm. you know, as long as we can cover our costs and turn a small profit, so we've got money for maintenance and repairs and more equipment. Um, we won't take an income from the business. Mm -hmm. um, so once I got that validation and, and approval, it was like, okay, right, let's really go find something now, and um, we we can we can uh, you know get started, um, get brewing as soon as possible, um, and just see where it takes us. So um, another member of the homebrew group that I'm in um, came to me one day 
uh, in fact, he didn't come to me. I, I came to him and said, hey, he owns a car repair workshop for old English MG sports cars. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah. MG Spitfire, MG Midget. My dad had a, uh, my, my friend's dad had a Spitfire, and I loved that car. Yep. British Racing Green. So, yeah, Mike Entwistle. And uh, it's, uh, it's called Mike Entwistle's MG Workshop, just so there's no confusion. And um, he, I said to him, hey, are there any spaces on your little industrial area, your little industrial estate? And he was like, yeah, there's an empty one next door. I'm like, why did you not tell me about this so far? <laughs> you knew I'd been looking. Oh, I didn't think. Okay, I'm coming down now. So I got in the car, went down. I found this space. It's about, I guess, 600 square feet, size of a big double garage kind of size mm-hmm. and uh, I'm looking at it going like, there's water there's main surface drainage outside, it's got electricity three phase electricity, 240 415 volts, cool. everything that I need in here um, and so I uh, met the landlord, the owner of the property, explained what we wanted to do and he's like yeah let's, let's do it then, sent me the contract through signed it um, and then worked out that um I needed a bank account for the business. I needed to pass um, some exams to um, uh, to show that I understand the consequences of serving alcohol to people that shouldn't be served alcohol and <laughs> child safety and yeah. all of this stuff. And without that, I couldn't move forward. Nobody would touch me. The tax organi- the tax authorities in the UK, they wouldn't touch me. The bank would not give me a bank account. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going back to school then. So yeah. studying at night, taking exams, did all that. And then um, set through the very lengthy process of uh, getting approval from the UK government to um, start this alcohol business, basically. So uh, they want to know everything. Yeah. Um, and... And once you tell them that you actually want to sell it, then there's another approvals process. Like, what am I going to do if I can't sell it? Right? You're going to sell it. Ah, you need to talk to this guy. This is a different (laughs) department now. You can make it. We'll okay that. But you want to sell it? You got to talk to these guys. So I went through their process as well, which involved interviews. Um, We were in the middle of COVID, so normally there would be a site visit, so they could Mm -hmm. put eyes on the place and on me and check things out. But it was all done in a kind of virtual Teams way. which is fine, you know, they could have come taken a look. And they still could turn up at any point for a look around, and that's okay. Um, yeah, so we had an empty building and all the necessary approvals and all the kit stored in a 40-foot con- container kind of 10 miles away. Um, and then I set about over the following 12 weeks moving the kit over, um, digging drains in the floor, putting the electricity into the right places, painting things, fixing holes in the building, just reg- you know, trying to work out where does the water go when it leaves this building because yeah. there's a river down the road. I'm like, I don't want to be putting my stuff in a river. No. Caustic, paracetic acid, you know, slurry from the tanks. You know, this has got to go to a water treatment work somewhere. Where does this pipe go? Well, you think that's easy, right? It's, <laughs> you just call the water company and say, hey, where does this go? They're like, well, you don't know. It's from 1750. Can you, you find out. So I'm, I'm, I'm literally buying um, buying dyes from uh, water soluble dyes um, from different drain manufacturer companies and I'm pouring red dye and blue dye down the drains and then running to the river and seeing what was coming out and yeah and I had to then tell them it's fine it goes to the water treatment works I was going to um, say you making... and then they went that's fine yeah good oh well, thanks for telling us that that's 400 pounds <laughs> English I'm like, what am I paying you for? Well, for the approval. <laughs> did I did all the work. Yeah, so we had a, a whole series of things that we had to do. And um, it, 
that is if I'd have known there was that much then it may have put me off actually but yeah. I've done it now um, but for anyone else who's thinking about doing this over in the UK just uh, well, call me I've got a big <laughs> list of everything I did and the dates that I did it and what it costs yeah. and um, yeah you need to think about that as it happens what I've discovered is the cost of all of the stuff surrounding the brewery costs as much as the brewery would have cost where I just oh, wow. second hand yeah second hand yeah. so you know you're talking you know, five figures at least mm-hmm. um, in, you know, putting putting advertising in the local newspapers so that people have the opportunity to object to yeah. a, an alcohol business being constructed nearby. You know, you want to sell your bicycle in the newspaper, $20, 20 pounds, whatever. Um, you want an official notice, the same size that says I'm starting a business, 500. Yeah. Um, and because um, you've got no choice. So um, a lot of red tape and, and process, and it's, yeah, it, 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 it's enough to put you off if you're not determined. I was really determined at that point, so we, we managed our way through it. Um, and then um, the rest, as they say, is sort of history where, you know, the story's not finished yet, but we, we finally got the equipment in, did a few test brews, brewed our first batch, sold it, brewed our mm-hmm. second batch, sold it, um, and now we have a regular Every Saturday we produce, we fill one of the tanks every Saturday. It's mm-hmm. about, uh, I guess, probably, s- s- I'm trying to think of the American now, but um, yeah, well, it's, it's 90 gallons. So whatever that works out to in American pints, because your yeah. pints are smaller than ours. So uh, a lot of I pints know. every week. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't make it fast enough right now. So we're like, what do we do next? Do we keep it at this level? And are we happy with that? And yeah, I would have been, but I think... You know, I, I've optimized the, the process. I've optimized the time it takes me to um, to produce. Um, deliveries are to relatively few places. My son is now on board and delivering and helping oh, wow. and cleaning and starting to learn how to brew and certainly how to manage the, the brewing after it's been done, tank temperatures, you know, adding dry hops, these sorts of things. So I can get on during Monday to Friday. I can get on and do my thing my regular day thing and i don't have to worry mm-hmm. if i need something delivering elliot will get the email um a pub will say can you bring us a couple of kegs down and he'll throw them in the back and take them down to him and um i'm you know i have a i have some help from the family now which was always the plan yeah um so yeah we're in that decision making process now do we scale it a little bit have, have we got within the family have we got yeah. the, the the labor available to scale it like if we want to start putting into bottles or cans like when would that happen mm-hmm. uh, is that something we can do on a sunday morning or a saturday afternoon when we've got some time available is does it mean that we have to hire somebody um in which case it starts getting really serious then yeah. i think so you know I, I don't know where we'll go next with it but at the moment i'm producing um i'm producing seven english casks mm-hmm. a week which is um they're just under 11 US gallons okay. in each cask. Seven yeah. to eight, depending on the yield that I'm getting. Um, uh, or, or I can produce about 10 eight-gallon kegs if I'm doing kegged under pressure. Oh, wow. Beer, which we're, we're doing as well every week. And um, it's all sold. Before I even brew it, it's sold. That's amazing. Um, and you're selling yeah. you're selling to like local pubs in your area. So when that yeah. beer's in the pub, yeah. that is fresh. Proper yep. British. Yeah, I um the the closest pub put the beer on today. It's a pub called the Newton Brewery Inn. They're not a brewery. The name is historic. Um, and um, they're I would say a hundred yards. Yeah. From the brewery, 
And when he said, can you bring me a couple of kegs down, a couple of casks? I'm like, do I drive or do I just put them on a little sack truck and walk down the street? Yeah. Um, in the end, I put them in the car because I'm lazy. But um, <laughs> it's close enough that well, I could have just heavy. put them on a little... Yeah, it is. But I could have just put them on a little hand truck and pulled them down the street. Yeah. Um, so he's there. There's one the other side of town, which is, I don't know, a quarter of a mile, half a mile, maybe. Uh, and then one in the town where I actually live, the next town along mm-hmm. from the brewery, which, I mean, it's like five miles, if that. Yeah. Um, and they're the main out. Oh, and one in the other side of town, a, a bar called Bar 4 in mm-hmm. Winsford in Cheshire. They're, they, they've started to take from me as well now. I guess they're probably six, five or six miles from the brewery. So it's certainly not hard to travel. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, fresh as a result. So, I mean, with cask, there's a certain amount of time. Yeah, you, you're on cask for conditioning, right? You're so, on borrowed time with cask, really. Once you tapped it, you got to drink it, yeah, mm-hmm. which is um, which is nice. Yeah, it's um, a good problem so, to have. Um, yeah, the pubs, fortunately, that I that I'm in, they are cask lovers pubs, mm-hmm. so they can tap a cask midweek and it will sell. Yeah, some of the bars they wouldn't want to tap a cask on a Monday no. because you know there's not enough midweek traffic to uh, to make it worthwhile. So they'll still take a cask, but they'll they'll tap it on a Thursday, mm-hmm. so it's ready for the Friday, Saturday, Sunday trade. Um, but but in cask. Um, it's the I allow a two week conditioning period, so you know I'll I'll rack from the fermenter into the cask um, with some um, some vegan finings I use, mm-hmm. um, and um, that two week period p- period then sat in the brewery makes the world a difference actually the mm-hmm. clarity for one, but the depth of flavour and it mellows a lot in those two weeks. I've tried it quicker because I'm like, okay, how can we turn these casks a little quicker? Yeah. I tried after four or five days. It's not ready. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely two weeks. Um, and on a couple of occasions recently, I've cut it really fine. There was a big beer festival in town um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was only going to be nine days um, So before they were asking for beer. So I delivered, um, and I gave them strict instructions. These are here to condition in your cellar, right? <laughs> don't go, don't tap them until the very last minute. You know, as the customers are walking through the gate, then start to serve it, but mm-hmm. don't open them early. Um, and they did, to be fair, and uh, we had a great time. Yeah. So they moved, uh, they moved nine casks. Oh um, wow! And it's a small town festival in two days. That's incredible. Um, so yeah, it was fantastic. Actually, two of those casks were from the midweek sessions on the run-up to the festival, but. On the Saturday and Sunday, uh, they did seven casks, yeah. um, and um, and customers were still asking for the beer um, and being told, "Sorry, we're out." Um, so should have took a nine. Never mind. <laughs> Next that, time we know. But that's amazing because I, I remember watching the video um, where it the, the pub was going to do the first cask. And you're in Vegas. And so, you know, I'm, I, you're like, all right, I'm in Vegas, and then I'm going to fly back, and I go straight to the pub. And, yeah. I mean, I've never done it for that explicit purpose, but, you know, when I was commuting back here and forth, there were times it was like, all right, I'm going to fly to England and be at my desk at 9 a.m. in the morning, even though I got in at 3. Yeah. And this felt such higher stakes because I'm like, well, what if, what if people don't like the beer? Like, what's going to happen? If the, is the pub going to be like, no? And like, fortunately, spoiler, everyone loves the beer in the video. But yeah. I was so nervous for you watching that. It was terrifying. It was the worst flight I've ever had in my life. And that's yeah. not a short trip from Vegas. And I, I got on it to fly Vegas to Amsterdam and then Amsterdam back to Manchester and then from Manchester a drive home about 40 minutes. Yeah. And that was all I could think about. I mean... It, <laughs> 
but the work that I put in and we put in, um, it was like shit or bust, right? Yeah. It, this has either worked or we're in trouble now. <laughs> we got a, <laughs> we got a, all the expense that we put that we've spent and all the time actually, rather than the expense, the time and, and energy and passion that we've put into it. This has got to work. Yeah. And I genuinely haven't hadn't tasted the finished article. I brewed that recipe a couple of times at home. And then the day before brew day, oh, I did that thing that you really shouldn't do, which is like, I'm going to change something. Oh. And uh, I changed the hop schedule. Mm. Um, and, and, and that was largely because I'd, people were putting these scare stories on me. Not intentionally. They were trying to help. But it's like, did you think about hop utilization in the bigger kit compared with home? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I did. Uh, but did I, have you done anything about that? No, I haven't. So all of a sudden, I'm going from, I'm going from five gallons... Mm-hmm. to 90 gallons with the hot proportions in the same ratio that they were in the small kit. Yeah. Grams per liter, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, shit, is, this is going to be like super bitter or something. You know, it's going to be pulling way more bitterness out. Okay, I'm going to scale that back. <laughs> so then I get online. I'm like, okay, where's the calculator for this? Because there's calculators everywhere. Oh, right? yeah. There's the calculator now. So I'm going from five gallons to 90 gallons. And you, you know, I'm, ho- I'm hoping that I'd put in the alpha acid, uh, click a button, and it'd say, "Oh, reduce your hops by eight percent or something." Nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason to it. So I'm like, "Okay, I'm just going to take a stab at it." Yeah. I, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to drop the bittering by about twenty percent. Yeah. I'm going to guess, which was foolish, really. <laughs> but like, I, I just thought it was a great idea. And maybe yeah. I'd been drinking too much of my uh, trial batch or something. So, yeah. anyway, I did it. And then when I was racking it into cask, before I went to Vegas, I had a I had a taste of this sort of, you know, flat, very cold mm-hmm. um, beer because I'd crash cooled it to uh, drop the hops out from the dry hop. And I had a taste and thought, that's not bitter enough. There's, there's no bitterness. Yeah. I, I, this is going to be problematic now. And then I spoke to Harry, at Harry Brew, 69. And I uh, said, hey, w- what's going on here? He said, I just sent my beer off for scientific analysis at a lab to get the bitterness measured um, for the same reason. He wasn't sure what is the ratio between, uh, you know, he's on, a, I think, a three or f- maybe five barrel kit. Yeah. Um, and there's no uh, documented comparison, I said. So he's actually sent off a, a test. I think he may have sent off his homebrew and his commercial brew mm-hmm. um, of the same recipe with the same ratio. And they came back and said, no difference. Uh, and that's scaling to that size. And so I'm only going to 90 gallons. He's going to like, whatever, 180. Yeah. So um, so I think that might be the case. I don't think there's, I think if you're going from five gallons to, you know, 20 hectoliters, or, you know, like a big, big commercial brew. Big break, commercial, I think, yeah. I think, I don't think, I don't think it's a straight line. Yeah, I yeah. think there's a hockey stick curve or something. <laughs> I wish someone more smart than me would sort of show me that curve and I can work it out. But and I've subsequently done it, and there is no discernible change in bitterness yeah. from five liters to two barrels using the same proportions. So I'm not allowing any additional hop utilization now mm-hmm. at this scale. If we go bigger to five, ten barrel, then maybe I'll need to rethink that. But right now. If it says 32 IBU in Brewfather or Brewsmith or whatever the software is at five li- at five gallons, then that's what I'm going with. Yeah. Um, and um, it's so far so good. So th- this is what I'm thinking when I'm, I didn't know this at the time. This is what I'm thinking when I'm traveling back. This is not bitter enough. <laughs> um, now, in the meantime, before I tasted the first batch, I had to brew the second batch 
before mm -hmm. I flew away. So I'm like, okay, that was too, that wasn't bitter enough, right? So although I haven't tasted it after m maturation, I'm going to have to make a decision now. Do I do it again the same way or do I throw some more bitterness in? So I was like, what have I got for bittering? Uh, oh, I've got some warrior hops kicking around. Oh, it's Magnum, I'm sorry. Mag I've got some Magnum hops in my fridge here, about mm -hmm. six months old. I'll just chuck some of them in. And I replaced the bitterness because the hop aroma was nice and the flavor mm -hmm. was nice. It was just the bitterness that was lacking. Yeah. So I'm just going to add some bittering with an early hop addition. So I did. So I threw in the Magnum to get it up to, to I think it was 34 IBU I was looking for at the time. Um, and then went away to Vegas, came back, went to the pub, met with Jack, who I'd instructed, do not serve this beer until I've given it the approval. Um, and you're happy with it too, Jack. So we both had a pint and he said, this is amazing. He said, this is, this is exactly my kind of beer. And, and I tasted it. I was like, wow, the bitterness is back. Yeah. Where, why wasn't it there? I can only assume it was the temperature. Uh, it just, you know, yeah, I didn't when, get the bitterness or something. When you get something. too cold, it, it suppresses right. your hops. Yeah. So, you know, and this beer is, it's, you know, it's, an, it's a British golden ale. It's designed to be served perhaps a little bit colder than a cask ale. Mm -hmm. Normally a cask ale will be somewhere around 54 Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, somewhere around there. Um, with a with a golden ale, um, you can get away with a bit less than that, but certainly not down at the kind of, you know, 30-something. I was going to say, not of, the cause light temperature. No, where, no, yeah. not at all. Um, so I tasted it. I'm like, no, this is absolutely right. And then I'm thinking, oh, i got seven casks with a, with a shared load more bitterness in. And, and what? Oh, my God. So... I had the name picked for the beer, but at that stage, I'm like, okay, I can't give this the name because the next batch will be different. Yeah. And people will be going, oh, this new brewery has got no consistency. This one had no bitterness. This one's mouth puckeringly bitter. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. supposed to be the same beer. So I quickly got some, uh, some um, tap handles printed, uh, which just said trial batch. Yeah. Um, and... Um, there's an appeal to that for locals. They're like, oh, we've got to try the trial batch. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's experimental, right? It's like the beta. Yeah. So, um, so the first two were like trial batch A and trial batch B. Oh, nice. Um, and then we just asked the locals, which one did you prefer? The bitter one or the not bitter one? Um, but at this stage, I had, to, I had already had to commit to the next brew. <laughs> Do we go with the, bit, the bitter one or the not so bitter one? So I enjoyed the first one so much. I thought that works without the bitterness. Mm -hmm. Even if some people prefer the bitterness, you know, We'll call that a one-off. Let's go back to recipe one. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what we've done. So the following eight um, eight batches that we've produced, nine batches that we've produced, are all the original pre-Vegas recipe yeah. and um, are going down very well. It's a light summer, as I said, English golden ale. Uh, it's closest analog probably in American standards. Mm -hmm. uh, it is in the BJP, BJCP um, as its own classification. I think it's like 12... C or 18C, something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, but it's probably um, an American pale, I would say. It's probably okay. the closest uh, that you would see. Um, so not so hoppy, not so bitter. Nice, aromatic. Uh, I've used uh, American citrusy hops in there, so there's a good dose of uh, citra. Ooh. Can't go wrong with citra. You can't right? go wrong with citra. Um, backed up by talus. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and it's, it's hot very late in the boil. Uh, 20 minutes to go. Um, there's a, a light um, hop addition. Then uh, then 10 minutes. And then at flame out, 
there's a big load goes in of mm -hmm. both of those hops. Um, on a, I, I don't have the whirlpool. Um, I haven't equipped it with a whirlpool yet. But it's a, it's a hop stand and a spoon, um, basically. <laughs> so I just um, love how old school it is, though. You got like all yeah, the copper, it, you got the wood firing, and you're like, here I am with my spoon. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's 78 Celsius. I'll let you do the math there, but um, <laughs> sort of, you know, uh, certainly less than boiling. Just below the level where you're likely to extract more mm. bitterness. You're just looking for aroma at that stage, um, whatever temp that would be in Fahrenheit. And um, so we let that stand for 30 minutes, and then we got a dry hop at five days. Mm -hmm. um, um, uh, just a single dry hop, but again, both Citra and Talus. Yeah. Obviously, I'll supply the recipe so that you can share it with your um, with your listeners. Oh, it's not a you. secret. I've yeah. published it, and um, yeah, I'm happy if people want to try it, especially if you're not around to drink it. I mean, we're in a fairly small geography here. The chances <laughs> of some of your listeners being nearby well, is kind of small. And we're, we're, well, we're on a mystical plane, so, you know, I mean, people are going to find their oh, way to it. So <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, they can, uh, yeah, on, on, a on a mystical plane, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to ask, though, like, going from... Going from home brewing five gallons yep. to ninety gallons. I mean, you talked about hop utilization. Was there any other considerations you had to, you know, bring into your brewing knowledge? I mean, how many test batches did you do before going? This is good enough to try and sell. Well, I, I don't think it was a conscious thing, actually. Uh, you know, I, I've been brewing all grain for hmm, probably three or four years prior to that. Um, like most home brewers, you know, extracts and kits and whatnot, and before that, wine actually. Yeah. Um, but once I got onto all grain, um, I, I can't think of a bad beer. Yeah, I, made. I mean, there, are, there have been some, but for, for reasons that I understood after I'd made it, that like mm, that didn't really work, wasn't what I'd expected. So it was a kind of natural progression. It wasn't the kind of I'm going to keep doing this and doing it and doing it until it's absolutely perfect. Um, you know, you can strive for for perfection but mm -hmm. um sometimes you know we use, there's a phrase we use at work excellence over perfection yes and um you know you can spend just getting that last 10 percent to perfect or that last 20 percent to perfect um you know it's minimal games gains for maximal energy yeah. money cost um so you know, I'm not saying my beer isn't perfect. I let the I let the customers and the drinkers judge that. I like it a lot, right? And um, I mean, I'm I can tell you it looks so beautiful in the videos. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And certainly, I'm I'm starting to see. Um, I had to quickly dive onto the Untapped website because I'd never considered Untapped, and yeah. then uh, I'm starting to see reviews on there for this brewery that doesn't exist on Untapped. I'm like, I better claim that quick before somebody else claims it. So I'm on there now, and I'm typically getting four and a half scores on there so yeah. you know for a first beer four that's and a half out pretty of five, solid it's pretty good i so, mean actually yeah, that's better said, than solid i mean if you yeah. were getting three that would be solid right so not perfect but you know excellent rather yeah. than perfect and i'm happy with that so yeah so it was a natural progression and i brewed a lot of different styles and um you know it's helped me understand what i like a lot you know mm -hmm. and um you know i bought a couple books as well as swapping it recipes with the homebrew crowd around here um uh, Greg Hughes and Graham Wheeler and some great homebrew books with recipes in. Even the, if I can say brew dog, I know that can be contentious sometimes with, uh, yeah. with their uh, situation, but, you know, they have a DIY dog. Uh, it's, a, it's a free book of all of their back catalogue of recipes. And it is actually, a great book. 
while you're learning what you know what works and what doesn't work there's there's so much in there and um so many things to try and the good thing is you've got a comparison you go to the store you buy one you make it you're like okay what do i do different because mine's not like theirs or mine Mm -hmm. is like theirs um and through that process um and in fact you know cloning beers was a big part of my learning curve you know Mm -hmm. getting a commercial beer drinking a couple trying to work out what are the hops in this um you know, has it been? Uh, you know, is it early? Is it been dry hopped? Is it been, you know, hopped early, late? Um, mm-hmm. Trying to work out the grains. You know, what is is that marisotto? Like, you know, it's a little bit malty or a little bit biscuity. Wonder what's in that. And then finding the recipe and seeing how yeah. close you are, um, or just trying to reproduce it, um, and um, and seeing, you know, like I said, what what doesn't work. Um, and for the same reason, starting with a base smash recipe, even yeah. just single malt, single hop keeping the same ratio of everything the same water the same hop timings but just changing the hop out mm-hmm. or just changing the grain out and then comparing side by side this is what i did last time this is what i've done now what changes there and don't change too many things and yep. um you learn a huge huge amount about you know what hops add um you know, and what different grains taste like in the glass because you can't you can't tell by smelling them or rubbing it between your fingers no you see that when they're t- testing the hops and they rub it in their palms I mean, they smell. There's something wrong with my nose. Great. It smells nice, but yeah. it doesn't smell like or taste like the beer's going to taste. No. And and I I struggle to make that connection between rubbing hops in my hand and the I'm, final thing. I'm the same way. Mm. Yeah. 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 I mean, because so, I was going to say because the the thing that I I just learned and I think I talked about it in another episode was Martin Keane who came on. Um, yeah. He gave me his Guinness recipe and I made a batch and it was yeah. really really good. But it was just, for my taste, it was roastier than actual Guinness. And right. so, like, to your point, I was, like, doing some reading, thinking about it. He had already introduced to me something mm-hmm. I thought I would never do, which was adding infected beer to a batch. And yeah, yeah I saw that. It's, it's really great. You get that Guinness tang. And the thing I realized is, like, well, I could just take the dark grains and mm-hmm. throw them in at the end of the sparge. Right. And so I did that. And, like... The batch that I've got now, I wrote to him, and I just wrote it in block capitals. I did it. I made Guinness, <laughs> and he wrote back going, "That's brilliant." So yeah, it's yeah. it is interesting. I I love the idea of like cloning beers and and constantly trying um, to replicate and changing, yeah, or doing those controlled experiments to change one thing to learn what you do and don't yeah. like and and all of that fun stuff. I don't have the patience, honestly, but it's something you got to do. I mean, you know, one little change, then you got to, you know, it's going to be four weeks, six weeks before you can try the next thing. So you've got to be in it for the long game, I think. Um, and um, but yeah, I mean, th- those sorts of things. And I, I had the same thing, uh, you know, making, trying to make some beers, and I've got this, the right grain bill, everything's right, but it's like there's just some bitterness that I shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Some, um, you know. Um, uh, how would you describe it? Yeah, like a burnt, like a a, a burnt taste i'm like mm-hmm. i wonder if i put that black malt in right at the end instead yeah. of right at the beginning and i learned that and no one had told me you know no one had told me not to add it not to add your whatever very dark toasted malts until the very end of uh, of the process and you get the color and mm-hmm. a little bit of the flavor but you don't get the burn you don't and, get uh, that astringency that comes right, with it yeah 
Yeah, you got it. And but yeah, you you just work this out as you go along. So, yeah. So in answer to your question, that was a, <laughs> a long answer, but you know, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, there, there wasn't a yeah there wasn't a kind of uh, a, a kind of iterative process and then a launch. It was kind mm-hmm. of um, a lot of things together that sort of brought us to that point of like I, I know how to make this and um, and um, yeah uh, with a last minute change to the recipe. Um, but ultimately, I'd only done two test brews of that beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I was happy enough with it that it would that it would work, um, or ballsy enough. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and um, you know, I spoke to a few brewers and said, like, I'm really nervous. And and both of them, pro brewers, had said, like, every time we brew on new kit, we dump the first batch because mm-hmm. it's never right. We were learning, and um, I didn't dump it. Yeah. Um, it was drunk, and everybody loved it. So, um, you know, I think um, maybe I'm lucky. I don't know, or, or maybe I just, you know, I, I got so into the detail, mm-hmm. spreadsheets, you know, and um, lots of calculations. I I prepped very well, mm-hmm. um, and I, I didn't wing anything on that first, apart from the the uh, the the uh, change in the hop downsizing shit. the hop edition. <laughs> I didn't wing anything. I stuck rigidly, and uh, I think I think it was Martin Keane when you were talking to him. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, who was like he used to stick. It was like 60 minutes on a timer, and yeah. that's the mash. And I'm stopping right now, and then on the boil, 60 minutes. That was me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, consciously because of you know repeatability. Reproducible, reproducibility. So next time, I knew that last time I actually stopped at exactly sixty minutes. If it's good, and I do it again, exactly the same way, mm-hmm. and keep everything exactly the same down to the gram or the the, know, the, the ounce, the pound, the yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, then you know should be the same, right? Uh, mm-hmm. if, if nothing changes, and um, and that's that's the model that we've had so far. Now I'm thinking, wow, my electricity bill is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm paying so much for electricity. Can I boil this in 30 minutes? Yes, I can. Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I just need to think about you know changing the hop schedule around a little bit and um, uh, adjusting for that you know lack of boil off. Mm-hmm. But it's it's simple mathematics. You know we can yeah. we can do that. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Alright, well, we're sitting in the ethereal plane. We already know the beer that we're adding to the tap list, but I would love to hear like a tiny bit more detail about it, especially going from the, the 90 gallon down to the 5 gallon of it. The beer well, going down from 90 to 5 or going up from 90 to 5? Uh, going from to 90. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are homebrewers out there with a 90 gallon system, and I'm very ju- actually. I think oh, I think my yeah. friend Rob from the internet has a 90 gallon system in Canada. Um, but no, like so. To, uh, the the beer that you you've been yeah. uh, test batch A, um, yeah. but like brewing that down at the five gallon homebrew yeah. scale. Yeah, I've I've kept the same proportions um, now as as I had um, as I had back then. It's quite a simple grain bill. There's not too much going on with it. It's a it's a standard base that I that I've used before, so I knew the color, 
the clarity really it was the hops that had um that, that were the different thing once we moved it into uh, the, the commercial beer um but we start with 73 and a half percent of extra pale um we you refer to two row in the u.s and mm-hmm. um it, it's not a term that's often used in in uh, in in the uk apart from when we're looking at u.s recipes but um effectively it's kind of an extra pale color um uh, malt, malted barley, 73.5%. Um, I added some Maris Otter um, just because, just a, just a, a hint, yeah, mm-hmm. for the, for the um, you know, for the, the, the sort of malty, biscuity. I was going to say um, that biscuity flavor, yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely a side note. It's not, it's not obviously present. And that's in line with the style guidelines, actually, for British Golden Ale. Uh, it shouldn't it shouldn't be over-present, but I mm-hmm. did want a touch of it in there just to add a little bit more complexity to it. Uh, eight, that's fifteen percent of that, or just over eight uh, percent is um, malted wheat, um, and um, principally, I was I was expecting that I would get some haziness in the beer from that, which will cover clarity in a minute. But actually, it still turns out at eight percent, it still turns out to be a very clear, mm. um, crystal clear, in fact, beer. Um, but the head retention on the ca- on served on cask is fantastic. There's mm-hmm. head right to the bottom of the glass, which is what you need. And then three percent caramel. Um, so kind of not too dark. I didn't want to add sort of heavy crystal. I wanted it to be light in color. Um, we use the EBC scale. Uh, I think maybe SRM for some. Oh, brewers, okay. But yeah. Um, and the EBC is about 7.1. So it's kind of a light straw, mm-hmm. medium straw color. Yeah. I would say. Um, so 3% of that. Um, and then the hop schedule, as we discussed earlier, with Talus and Citra at 20 minutes, 10 minutes, and then for a 30-minute hop stand at the end. So nothing is different in that recipe um, between the trial batch and the uh, the final uh, commercial batch that we brewed, other than that second batch that we did where I wanted to add some more bitterness, mm-hmm. um, where we, we put in some, uh, some magnum nice. earlier at the boil just to bring us up. So... If I put all of that into uh, Brewfather, which is the software that I use, uh, it comes at about 30 IBU. So, okay. you know, in the as it meets expectations for an English cask ale drinker, the bitterness is not there. You wouldn't mm-hmm. describe it as an IPA by any means. Um, it's a, a, a lightly bittered um, pale ale, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, yeah, so brewing that here in the kitchen. Um, on my um, on my claw hammer supply clone, <laughs> which I which I produced because they wouldn't sell me one, um, not for not their fault, but they, they they didn't have the means to export and the electricity system was all wrong, yeah. so I would have probably blown myself up anyway. Um, <laughs> um, so brewed in the, brewed in the kitchen here um, and enjoyed by my family and and me a couple of times. Nice. Um, uh, yeah, and it, it worked out of the out of the starting blocks that recipe. Um, mm-hmm. So give it a try if you fancy. I'll send you the recipe. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we'll we'll include that in the show notes. So please, everyone, brew and drink along with us. <laughs> drink along. <laughs> so, with that being said, I mean, and maybe this is a scary question for you who now owns a professional brewery, but mm-hmm. like, what is like the the worst beer you ever made? Like, what was the one where you're like, I should not even think about that beer ever again. Well, I was thinking about this before because I'd heard you ask the same question previously. And, and actually, the worst beer that I wouldn't make again is not because of the finished beer, actually. Yeah. Um, but it was the whole process of making it was just ridiculous. And um, it was in my clone period. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was looking for 
unusual beers again just to sort of think about technique and things that i hadn't done before and i i hadn't done a very a bitter 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 beer mm. um so i thought let's start with let's start at the top right so we're going to do pliny the elder um <laughs> so <laughs> of all the beers to go with <laughs> yeah so um i tried to make a five gallon batch of pliny the elder i think i end up with about two pints yeah. at the end um and the, the reason that i wouldn't do it again is um is the ridiculous amount of hops one the cost of yeah. the hops was huge um and so many um and the process of like how does this how do i get all of this hop matter mm-hmm. out of the beer without taking all of the beer with it so um i decided that i would put the beer put the hops into a mesh hop bag and drop them into I use a round bottom um, Firmzilla fermenter, mm-hmm. flat bottom. And um, so I, uh, I dropped the bag through the neck of the fermenter and kind of held it around the top with an elastic band and then started shoveling hops into it. Um, and then I knotted the top of the bag and then it wouldn't sink. So I threw in some glass, like marbles, kids' marbles, yeah. to try and sink it, wouldn't sink. I threw in a couple of knives and forks and spoons, still wouldn't sink. I threw in some stainless steel fittings um, and ball valves, wouldn't sink. Um, I mean, I, I could have put house bricks in this thing and it wouldn't have sunk. Anyway, yeah. they're floating on the top. I'm like, okay, maybe it's just got to float on the top then. Um, and there it sat for the however many days, five days. And it was like, now you need to add more hops. I'm like, okay, I've got to try and get this bag open and get more hops in. Finally, um, we're like, we're ready. We're ready to, ready to rack and we need to get these hops out somehow um with hindsight i should have just left them in and racked and left left the bag in there but i was thinking i need to squeeze this bag a little bit maybe just to get some of the because like out. yeah they're just gonna suck up a bunch of beer right so if you could imagine trying to pull out like a pillowcase basically <laughs> of size um absolutely swelled to the maximum like a balloon full of hops yeah. out of a three inch um opening on the top of a carboy uh, and i'm pulling i'm pulling and there's a vacuum and the, the plastic fermenter is like cr- cr- crumpling at the sides. And I, because I, I can't get any air in to get the bag out. And then I'm thinking that I, I can't even like put it on its side and open the tap. It's going <laughs> to suck air in. And this has got so many hops. It's just going to be a, an oxidization bomb. Yeah. And, um, so I thought, right, I'm just going to have to heave this thing out as hard as I can. So, and, and hopefully just the pressure of me pulling it will turn it into like a long sausage sock of hops. And mm-hmm. I'll pull it out that way. And I, I pulled so hard, this thing just like ejected the hops. And I'm in the kitchen here. They were on the ceiling, oh, on the no. floor, on the sofa. Every, and there were pounds and pounds of wet hops everywhere. Eventually, I wrestled this thing out. And then I looked at the bottom of the, ferment, the fermenter, what was left, and I could have cried. Yeah. I was like, it, it was like, wasn't even enough for a good night in. You know? <laughs> um, so uh, I vowed at that point. You know, either to try and find some other way of of hopping it. But the beer itself was great, by the way. Yeah. And um, I managed to save two bottles, which I took to one of our beer swaps, and we shared it around the guys because no, no, none of us, even me, we hadn't tried playing Pliny at all. And yeah. um, one guy, um, Phil, had had been um, been to um, Russian River and 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 tried it, and um, he said, as far as he could remember, it was a pretty close comparison. So That's I was happy awesome. with that, but I would have liked at least you know five six bottles. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> so yeah, just when the process um, it goes so wrong that you just you, you just end up with disappointment. Um, yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do I wouldn't do that one again for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, because I've I've had Pliny the Elder, and I mean, they do do this magnificent trick of being so overly hopped, but balanced, and that's the thing it's famous for. Because I don't know if it's the same thing in the UK, but over here, if you hear a liquor store has Pliny the Elder, yeah, oh, you go to that liquor store. Yeah, I am sure there are some bo bottles in circulation over here, but mm -hmm. I've never been never seen one yeah um in any bottle shops or importers i'm, I'm sure it, you know once it's in as soon as it's in it's gone i'm sure yeah. as soon as people find out about it so i yeah. i will say yeah. having it on tap is a very different experience yeah i can imagine yeah, yeah. but maybe one day i'll get to try it in its home um the, the the one that was actually bad was one of the first beers that i made which was um a saison mm -hmm. from a kit and um it was. Um, I was a bit naive, and I'm like, okay, let's let's read about how saisons are made. It's like, oh, saisons are made in French farmhouses and uh, in the height of summer, and it's very warm. And I'm like, okay, I don't need to control the temperature of this. I'm just gonna stick it in the cupboard over there, in the middle of a heat wave, and we'll be fine. And, uh, it must have fermented at like <laughs> I don't know what temperature. It was too warm though. Yeah. And then I left it too long because I'm like, is that airlock still bubbling? Yes, it was, and it was bubbling for like weeks. There's probably an infection in there or something, but. So I left it and left it. Um, and then I'm like, what's this stuff floating on the surface? Don't know what that is. Oh, I'll just no. scoop it out. Be okay. Bit of funk in there. I'll be all right. Anyway, I tasted this beer and it was like, it's the only batch that I've actually not managed to drink. Really? If I don't, yeah, if I don't quite like it, I'll persist. I'm like, I'm learning <laughs> something with every swallow. <laughs> and uh, you know, just not to do it again. But this one was like, you know what? Uh, I, I must have done a five, six pints out of it. I'm like, nah, yeah. it's just not, not worth it. I've got better things to do than drink this. <laughs> so we tip that one. Saisons are like actually pretty tricky to make and mm. do it well because you it, it's it's the inverse of lagering. Whereas lagering, traditionally, you've got to really control your temperature to get it down. I've mm. had to put a saison in a bath before to reactivate the yeast. Yep. And you've got to keep it at like a warmer temperature than would necessarily be. Now, I'm saying this as, as someone who lives in America and I have AC. So, you know, a temperature of what is comfortable, whereas in the UK, I, yeah, I'll do what you did. Just stick it in the corner and be fine in the middle of summer. But yeah, yeah they are they are pretty finickety beers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, honestly, no, I've never tried it again. So yeah. maybe now's the time. Now I've got a couple of years more experience, and uh, maybe maybe we'll make it right next time. Four four priests isn't going to make a saison. I'll make it at home first. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, one one question I have um, is when you. I mean, how many different beers are you now producing out of the brew house and do you do them on your five gallon system first yeah. or are you like all right i think this is going to work and let, let's just put it on the system and see what happens so we're yeah we're not so far down the road that we've had a chance to expand the line into other styles yet so mm -hmm. that the first beer that we produced the trial batch uh, a and b and then back to the first recipe we named it at that point um, okay uh, so the beer the beer is actually called murgy M-U-R-G-Y, Murgy Strait, which is, uh, there's a story behind that. Um, the, the road that goes between my house and the brewery mm -hmm. um, for like, I don't know, 20 weeks, I was up and down this road every weekend, <laughs> 10 times, uh, sick of the sight of that road. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm like, I can't believe I'm going down this road again. And then I'm going back the other way again. And um, locally, there was a, a salt factory mm -hmm. um there's a, there's a lot of salt production around here um called murgatroids 
um, on that road many years ago as part of local history. And the, and the road that went past it, which was dead straight, was referred to as the Murgy Strait, named yeah. after the Murgatroyd factory. So I thought, oh, what, what better way? This is the road that I've been on every day while I've been <laughs> building this brewery. So we called it Murgy Strait. And all the locals know what Murgy Strait is. Yeah. And the people that aren't local that are traveling through on uh, tourists, on traveling through on boats and stopping for a beer at the bars here, there's a question, what does Murgy Strait mean? And one of the locals will be able to tell them. So yeah. anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So we called, so we called it Murgy Strait. And the demand has been such that I just haven't been able to make anything else. We're, we're capacity limited. We've got seven to eight casks a week. I'm selling seven to eight casks a week. So yeah. like, where, where is this extra beer? Where is it going to be made? Um, <laughs> and where am I going to ferment it? Um, and when am I going to ferment it? So what I'm trying to do now is just every week that there's not a complete sale, if I've got a spare cask, I'm like, okay, that's one into stock. And I'm just trying to build up a little bit of wiggle room. Mm-hmm. So I've got enough to satisfy the demand for a week. And then I can brew something else um, to, you know, while we're not brewing Murgy straight. Um, and I, I've been waiting for this window of opportunity, which hasn't arisen. So mm-hmm. um, we keep selling it all. Um, so I was just browsing through the professional, professional brewing forum on uh, Facebook. I was away on business down in the south of England for a few days, and I looked, and there's an ad on there from someone that was selling a 1,000 litre, it's like five UK barrels, mm-hmm. 1,000 litre fermenter. Um, so it's roughly three times the size of my current kit. Um, and um, uh, the brewery is called Elusive, if anybody, any of your listeners may be familiar with them. Um, and um, so I got in touch with Andy, who, who owns it and said hey you got a fermenter for sale can i come and take a look i was in this hotel it was 10 minutes away oh wow this brewery i'm like this is a bit weird again <laughs> and the, the only thing that made it weirder is if he gave it to me for free which he didn't um damn it andy so I, yeah so i said i'm gonna come over after work tonight so i finished work rocked up there late in the afternoon and uh went, went to take a look and this is a massive compared with ours massive fermenter so that will allow me to double brew yeah um in an additional tank so what I'm going to do is that is the Murgy straight tank mm-hmm. for as long as customers still want to buy that beer. That's what I'm making in. And I can make, well, potentially I, I can make 20 casks at a time wow. to satisfy the demand, which frees up the other two fermenters for some other styles. So I'm currently test brewing, um, a, uh, a best bitter, mm-hmm. um, and a stout. Nice. Um, the stout very much for um, for August. It's an oatmeal. Oh, sorry, for autumn, I should say, for fall. It's an oatmeal stout. I kind of like silky smooth stouts. Yeah. Um, don't want the oat taste particularly, um, but you know, if we can keep the proportions right, I think maybe ten to fifteen percent oats mm-hmm. in there. I think I should get that silky feel, um, and it will be hopped with English hops. I think Bramling Cross, Fuggles, uh, East Kent Goldings. Um, the bitter that I've got on test at the moment, I like. Uh, there's two actually um, from Timothy Taylor. Uh, one is called Landlord. If you've ever tried Timothy I, Taylor, Landlord. I've never had Timmy Taylor. I listened to the camera podcast, and the, like you might as well call it the Timmy Taylor podcast, the way they talk <laughs> about it. And it's not a slam; it's a fantastic podcast. But I made a, I made my own clone of it over here, yep. and I don't have cast, so I, I served it on nitro. Yeah. And not to blow my own trumpet, but if mine tasted half as good as like Timmy Taylor, that must be yeah. like one of the greatest beers of all time. Yeah, it's it. I I love it. Um, they produced another one which some people prefer called Bolt 
maker, mm-hmm. B O L T, bolt maker. Um, um, and but the, 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 the similarity between both of those beers, I think, although I've not seen I've not seen both of the um, kind of official recipes. But if you look at the clone recipes online, which seem to be a pretty good uh, analog, they're both they're both um, hopped quite late with Styrian Goldings, mm-hmm. and, um, and and I think that's the I think that's the differentiator, one of the differentiators between that um, sort of cask bitter and and others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of the rest of the grain bill, when you look at it, there's there's not there's nothing unusual in there compared with with other bitters. Um, I'll just take a quick look at the recipe now. As far as I can tell from the the recipes of the certainly of the clones that I've seen, it's based on Golden Promise, which is a, it's a lovely malt, but it's not something. And I can buy it, but from my my regular supplier that I tend to get all of my malts from, uh, they don't have a Golden Promise. So mm. um, you know, and I'm not trying to reproduce Timmy Taylor, right? But yeah. um, just in terms of the of the uh, uh, of the proportions of the other malts, Maris Otter, I think, is a solid solid malt. I love Maris Otter. Best bitter. So. So we're going 85% Maris Otter, um, and we're going. Um, in fact, that was version one. We're not. We're going. We're going for uh, 7% Crystal 240, which ours are different than yours, aren't they? Yeah. Um, it's what it's what Chris would define as <clears throat> medium crystal, which is probably dark crystal for anybody else. I'm, um, yeah, I'm wondering if that's probably around sixty. Then it's more. It's about one twenty lint, lintner, is it? Oh, is it one L? lover bond? Yeah, lover bond, lover yeah. Not, lintner. It's about yeah. It's about one twenty. Oh, okay, I was way off then. Um, so that's about roughly two sixty EPC mm-hmm. uh, for color. So about about seven percent uh, approximately. The rest is Maris Otter. Um, the hops, Fuggle, East Kent Goldings, and as I said before, Styrian Goldings, right at the end of the boil at Flame Out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the yeast is the thing I'm not sure about yet. And I've done this twice with, um, I used a Nottingham yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've used good old um, SO4, English Ale yeast. I love SO4. Um, so um, I'm leaning towards the SO4. It's a li- little bit more neutral than Nottingham, um, but not completely neutral. It does yeah. add. Um, so that will be um, that's that's the basis the basis of the bitter nice. um, they're working on um, the um, the stout has um, Bramling Cross oh, okay. uh, Kent Goldings and Fuggle actually so it's the same <laughs> it's the same apart from the Styrian Goldings it's the same um, hop bill yeah. in different different proportions which kind of makes my life a bit easier once we start to produce regularly yeah it's the same hop selection um more or less or i can draw from the five or six hops that we uh, that, that we have mm-hmm. to do either or um that's not why i picked them um but but they're, I, they're, I they they're great win. hops though yeah, and and the absolutely. nice thing about hops is like you can have like the same three hops in every beer but depending on how and when you add them like it's like, totally different yeah but for sure, there'll be some Styrian Goldings at the end of the uh, at the end of the of the of the bitter boil, definitely. Yeah. Nice. Um, so yeah, so got a couple of those on test. Um, I'm hoping actually the next brew will will we're gonna have a go at the bitter. I think mm-hmm. will be the next one. Um, but I've really got to wait for this new fermenter. Um, I've got to wait for this new fermenter to arrive. So it's due to be delivered on the 8th of July. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna take the day off, paid time off, and. Um, I've got plenty of days left I need to take, so I'm going to take the day off that day and get down and get it plumbed in. Beautiful. And then the day after, 
there's a crowd of people coming down to brew with me nice. some friends um who have been watching the progress and said hey do you need a hand i'm like <laughs> yep <laughs> okay. on down. you don't have to name names that how many of your homebrew group are going so i've got this recipe if uh if you want it <laughs> and uh <laughs> not just yet but i'm you know uh, some of the beers that the, the the gang come up have come up with over the years have been phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. And uh, I've heard Rauch beers mentioned a few times on this show. That's mm-hmm. probably the only one that wasn't phenomenal. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, specifically because uh, I won't mention his name. And uh, uh, the, the guy that made because he'd be embarrassed. The, the guy that made it um, uh, ordered this uh, smoked malt from the supplier, and they actually sent uh, Pete smoked malt, which oh, was yeah. for Scotch whiskey um, manufacturing. <laughs> And um, he was like, when it arrived, wow, this stinks. Um, oh, it must be the right stuff. I'll just throw it in there. And he produced this beer, which when we do these bottle swaps um, on a regular basis, uh, that was all you got from him. He was like just trying to clear it out of his yeah. garage. Like, oh, I brought a smoked beer for you. Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, I mentioned his name. There you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll bleep it out for you. <laughs> wow. Because yeah. I think but, I um, told you the worst yeah. beer I made was a smoked beer, mm. and I just can't do Rauch beer because of it. No, it's it's right. I'm uh, I'm not a, I'm not a fan. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of these novelty beers, isn't there? You know, mm-hmm. whatever chickens' feet and muscles yeah. and whatnot. And um, I I'm I'm not I'm not I don't participate in that. You know, maybe one day we will. Yeah. Um, I see like you know uh, ice cream something or other. I'm like nah, next. Yeah. No, move on. I like beer as it as nature intended. <laughs> Um, I've started to see beer slushies as well. What's that? I don't know. I've just started seeing those come up as well. And the only thing, and again, I I don't know anything about them. I'm wondering if it's kind of like Frosé, you know, when that was like a big deal a couple of years ago. Actually, I don't know. I'm assuming it was a big deal a couple of years ago in the UK. Um, My my wife loves Frosé whenever we go to a bar and they've got a slushy machine with Rosé in it. She's like, yes! (laughs) Um, To the point that we bought an ice cream maker so we can make Frosé at home. Um, so I'm assuming that's the same thing as as, as a beer slushy, but yeah. I, yeah, I've had slushy beer before, but normally when uh, my fermenters touch the back of my fermentation <laughs> fridge and I'm cold crashing, I'm like, why is my beer slushy? Yeah, that's why my beer slushy is too cold. Uh, let's warm it up. Yeah, you don't yeah. drink it. Um, but anyway, yeah. So know. then the, the, these novelty fads, I mean, they'll they'll come and go. Some of them will stick. I yeah. mean, Nipahs were a fad at some point. You know. They still are over beer with, yeah, here. Fine. Yeah, we, mm. we still get a lot of Nipahs, a lot of hazy. I mean, mm. I, I will say as a home brewer, I do brew a lot of crazy shit. But I try to always have that beer, uh, uh, that flavor underneath the beer. Like, I always want to yeah. taste the beer first. Yeah. I'm not always successful, um, yeah. but yeah, I, I I have been leaning more towards traditional recently, partly because, um, and I think I've talked about this, those tend to be a bit boozier, and yeah. um, I'm really leaning towards like four, four and a half percent these days, because yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I had like some very strong beers on tap, and that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, we've been, we've been um, you know, as a commercial entity were guided largely by the the pubs what we produce yeah if i'm historically pre four priests if i was brewing at home you know a six percent a 6.3 6.5 absolutely no problem mm-hmm. um but i'm selling that to a bar and they're interested in session beers you know yeah. they don't want a customer to come in and have two seven percent neepers yeah they want the customer to come in and have four or five yeah at, 
Um, so we've been led that way. There's mm-hmm. nothing more than I would like to make, you know, a, a good strong IPA. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to be shifting seven casks a week of it. Which is so um, funny because over here cakes. it's the opposite. Like mm-hmm. over here, well, and I, I think the ABV is beginning to go down a little bit. But yeah. you know, you go into some tap rooms, the average percentage is six percent, and yeah. people will quite happily sit there and drink yeah. three of them. It, and yeah. it's pretty clear from the conversation with the, the the owners of the pubs or the landlords of the pubs around here. Many of them have a hard stop at four point five for cask. Yeah. If it's more than four point five, they don't really want it. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't there aren't enough customers that are going to sit and drink it uh, that they'll get through seventy two pints, mm-hmm. uh, you know, before it's ready to tip down the drain. So we've got to be guided by that. But I think as we move slowly uh, and add cask, uh, sorry, um, add keg to the lineup as well. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a bit more longevity then, and the quantities that we would ship in are slightly smaller. They're thirty liters rather than forty one liters mm-hmm. in a cask. Then. Um, yeah, we can try some. Uh, we can try some stronger stuff and some more interesting styles that perhaps aren't quite so mainstream as um, as English cask beer. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking speaking of pubs, we are on this ethereal plane now. I'm gonna I'm gonna make an assumption over the name of your dream pub, and I'm gonna assume <laughs> it is Four Priests, um, which is the name of your your brewery. But I I might be wrong. Um, but what is your dream pub? What would be your dream brew pub if you were to open one? Well, yeah, I don't know about the name, you know. We, we, we came up with the name. It's this story of local history, which I'll, I'll share in a video in, in the future. And um, maybe it would be Four Priests, maybe something else. But the dream pub that I can picture, you know, I um, although we're a single beer brand at the moment, um, you know, I, I like variety. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think even just looking at something like the BJCP guidelines, if, if you could go in a pub and literally every single style was available. I don't mean oh. all the sub-styles particularly, yeah. although that would be a dream within the dream, maybe. <laughs> but certainly the 20, however many, 27 is it? 27, I like think, yeah. yeah. You know, to have 27 taps with those 27 styles on, I think would be great. Mm-hmm. What wouldn't be in my pub is uh, tables for two. Um <laughs> What would be in my pub? Um, long Munich-style beer hall tables. Oh, nice. Um, there would be a cell phone jammer. Love it. Right? Um, there would be no TV. Love um, it again. There may be some space for live music, occasionally. But but you would be encouraged to sit with other people, strangers, uh, on the long tables. I travel to Munich quite a lot, and I love that kind of beer garden social mm-hmm. activity and drinking together with people that you've not met before and leaving as friends, I think is wonderful. And um, uh, that would be a necessity, I think, in, uh, in, my, in my dream pub. And, um, you know, I like the idea when, I, when you go to one of these beer gardens in Munich and you see the, you see the guy at the sort of front of house or front of garden, mm-hmm. and uh, you're like, you got room for three people? And he'll kind of point to a little corner. It's like somebody else's <laughs> table and they're eating. And you're like, we've got to go sit with these people. We don't yeah. know them. And he's like, yeah, no, you sit there. That's how it works here. And you mm-hmm. sit down. And uh, you start to chat with people. They're from maybe from Munich, maybe from somewhere else in the world. Yeah, I think it's great. And you talk about beer. You're there for the same reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Because you like beer. Um, yeah. So no TV. What also it would have is is uh, is beer snacks. Ooh. Twenty seven to match the twenty seven styles. Oh, I love so that. You're going to be drinking an English cask, best bitter. You're going to get pork scratchings right oh you, you're gonna get a scotch egg remember scotch eggs i love Is scotch that? eggs i work, I work with a guy whose wife was english and he learned to make scotch eggs for her and so he would bring me scotch eggs 
You got it. Yeah. You're drinking styles from elsewhere in the world. The food is paired with them. Only snacks. I don't want full meals. No cutlery required. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that would be my dream pub. Yeah. And definitely, definitely, because uh, I'm the world's worst for pulling out my phone at the wrong moment when yeah. I'm supposed to be with family. And um, yeah, I'm like, pull your phone out. It ain't going to work. Sorry. <laughs> I love that. That oh, that sounds absolutely amazing. Cause I'm I'm with you. Like I love that long table. We we get that quite a bit here as well. And it's just I don't know. You do meet people and you get to talk about beer. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you, especially now being commercial, but like when you talk about beer and people find out that you make it yourself, like suddenly the mm -hmm. conversation goes through the stratosphere. And that sounds amazing. Yeah. And now I really want a scotch egg. <laughs> <laughs> well everyone please i mean do you want to stick with the four priest name or do you want to mix it up well i don't know with having all styles represented maybe we could call it maybe we could call it um martin Keane's garage <laughs> <laughs> all right that i am so emailing him about that <laughs> So everyone, please come and join us in Martin Keane's garage, where he's looking very confused why there's suddenly a bunch of long tables in there. And grab a pint, grab a grab an appropriate snack, and let's make some new friends. This was absolutely amazing. Please tell everyone where they can find you on the YouTubes and socials and all of that fun stuff. Well, rather than go through all the links individually, if you head to www.4priests, that's F-O-U-R rather than the number, 4priests.co.uk, you'll find the links there to our Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube pages. Uh, it'd be nice to see you along on, uh, on the comments, on the videos. Amazing. Yeah, please do go check out the videos. They, they are amazing. And again, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Nice to be here. Thank you. Huge, huge, huge thank you to Andy for coming on, telling the crazy story of how he got started making his own beer professionally and getting getting them to the local pubs. I am really sad that I can't be in the UK drinking these. Um, hopefully one day I'll get there. But uh, again, huge thank you to Andy. Please go check out his YouTube. Please follow him on socials. Um, I'll put all of that in the show notes. And of course, thank you so much for listening. If you could leave us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcast, that'll just help other people find the show. If you want to reach out to us, possibly come on and share a pint with me. You can reach us at our website, thehomebrewpub.com, or email landlord at thehomebrewpub.com, or on social, at thehomebrewpub on Instagram and Twitter. And if, like me, you hate those annoying ads, well, we've got to keep the lights on here at the Homebrew Pub somehow. So consider joining our Patreon and becoming a Mug Club member. For $3 a month, you'll get access to ad-free versions of the episodes. But until then, grab your favorite pint, put your feet up, relax, don't worry, and have a homebrew. Till next time, cheers. Cheers.